Welcome to Escrow Out Loud, the San Francisco real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate, experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links are available at jacksonfuller.com backslash podcast. Hello, and welcome to Escrow Out Loud. I'm Matt Fuller, your podcast host and the broker at Jackson Fuller Real Estate, my San Francisco real estate brokerage. Joining me today as a guest co-host is my friend and fellow real estate broker, the owner and founder of Park North Real Estate, which is a brokerage and not a DBA. Please welcome Kevin Birmingham. Hey, Matt. Thanks for agreeing to be my co-host for some upcoming episodes. I'm thrilled that you have me here and I'm excited. And it turns out if we have a little banter, we go back and forth, we're going to have fun today. Matt and I have served together in the Realtor Associations back-to-back. He was president, I was president. We made some horrible videos together, but the memories will last. It was fun. They've taken their video production upscale down at the board. I'm impressed. Yeah, but we started that, didn't we? We did. Yeah. Bert and Ernie will always be the classic. Everyone aspires to Bert and Ernie. Exactly. We're like the Beatles. (laughs) Which one am I? And who's Yoko Ono? (laughs) Speaking of the Beatles and Yoko Ono, that is the perfect segue into today's topic, which is cooperation and specifically cooperation amongst realtors and their brokerages. This has been a long-standing business model that we compete for listing and cooperate for sales And what does that mean in terms of being a consumer and trying to buy a house? So Matt and I just had a podcast about what's going on in the market. Obviously, the market's slowing down. was talking to a realtor that offer date come and go on a listing. And he freaked out, called me, knows I sell a lot in the Parkside Sunset neighborhoods. What's my take? I spoke to another agent a few days later, mentioned that agent, and she said, yeah, the agent called me and said, we're all in this together. And she said, screw that man, every man for himself. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that sums up cooperation right there, doesn't it? We're all in it together until like, no, this is my listing. This is my buyer. I'm in it for myself. Done. I 100% support you until it costs me something. Exactly. (laughs) We're a funny breed because first of all, Agents come to me and say, this business is so hard. And I say, be thankful that it's hard. Because if it was not hard, people would sell their own homes, people would buy their own homes, and they wouldn't use us. We get 5 6% of a commission of a home sale because people, it's not that they don't want to do it themselves. It's a bad idea. It sets things off in the wrong track. There's a host of reasons of why not to do it. And if you didn't have those host of reasons, people would save the 5%, the 6% and do it themselves. And that going back to that 5 6%, let's go to 6%, which is the old school number. And what you do is you cooperate. A realtor, realtor that is the listing agent gets that 6% and agrees in the listing agreement to cooperate and give 3% or whatever portion thereof of that 6% commission to whoever brings the buyer in. And that is why we have a multiple listing service in order to have this listing put out there and let everyone know we're agreeing to cooperate, come and bring your buyers to sell my listing. As they say in England, co-broke or go broke. So the idea is if I try to look for the perfect buyer 
to sell it, I could sit there for ages where if I put it out to all the realtor community, then they're going to bring buyers and I'm going to get the home sold. But when we go back in time, a time not too long ago, the listing agent, and this is still prevalent in multi-unit sales and commercial, the listing agent does not want to cooperate. The listing agent wants to keep all the commission for themselves. And this is where a lot of the discussion on clear cooperation policy, which was established by NAR a few years back, is going to come into, which is, is it violating or making it difficult to have this cooperation that the MLS provides? Before we hop up to that one, I think it's important to explain to people for a consumer, if you're buying or selling a house, the MLS is the place you go to search because it's got the inventory of houses. But if you're a realtor participant, a broker or a sales agent working for a broker, the MLS is in addition, it's an agreement. It's a set of rules about how you're going to work together so that the expectations are clear across the board. So when you put in a listing, sure, you put in the listing so that consumers can see it, but you're also putting it in. And that comes with agreements and understandings about how business is going to be done. Right. And we look at the modern MLS compared to the MLS of pre-1993, which is 1993 is when it kind of went live to the internet era. Before that, it was like telephone books. And so none of this information was to the public. This is from realtor to realtor. And like you said, it was an agreement. I agree to cooperate with you and I'm going to give you this percentage. And by me being able to use this multiple listing service, I'm going to follow a set of rules and I'm not gonna violate those rules. Otherwise I can be fined or I can be banned from the MLS. No one wants to be fined or banned from the MLS. So they agree to cooperate or at least they try to cooperate or at least they try not to get caught not cooperating. Now we're in the modern era of Zillow, Redfin, what have you, whereas the MLS feeds to these different sites it's still an agreement between broker to broker to be in the multiple listing service, which feeds the public sites that your average person looks at, Zillow, Redfin, what have you. Yeah. And even within the structure of how things work now, there are still ways that you can be compliant with cooperation, but not really as cooperative as the word might imply or people might expect. And that's gone on for as long as time. I just think that the obviousness and scale of it has changed because of the internet. And everyone's always trying to game the system. There was a company 12 years back that was bought out about six years back. And what they were doing, they were leaving their for sale signs up for ages, past the sale, way before the sale, just continuously. The local sign company here in San Francisco stopped working with them because they were ticking him off the way they were behaving. But it also, it was, you left that sign up to get the phone to ring, even though the listing may not even be on yet. The listing may not be sold. We don't even have a listing in the building. Throw a sign up, see who's going to call. That kind of behavior is what has led to clear cooperation. Yes. So let's talk about the bad behavior, like lockbox codes. Sometimes it's kind of like clicky, like I've got a lockbox and if you're a cool kid, I'll give you the code, but I'm not going to advertise it. And then also who you're willing to cooperate with, who you want to work with. I'm not going to take a preemptive offer until the offer date. Oh, but it's this agent. Go ahead and bring me a preemptive offer because you're my buddy. The other thing 
that people don't know because we have what's called the blind offer situation is how often on offer date, one person says, hey, match this person's offer because you're my friend and you've got the property. There's so much of that going on and none of this is going to be completely cured by clear cooperation or anything else. But I think there was kind of like the savings and loan scandal. And what I mean by that is in the 70s, was there bad behavior around savings and loans? Yes, there was. But in the 80s, they maximized it for profit potential. So has there always been some kind of a wink, wink in the off market, this, that, and the other in the MLS? Sure. But with the rise of certain companies and certain websites, they've really maximized the way coming soon has been. And that freaked NAR out. You know where coming soon started? Here in San Francisco. You were the president that year, weren't you? No, that was a couple before me. It was Christine Dwiggins here, I think. Or maybe it was even the year before she was president. I think she was the chair of MLS Tech that I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Coming soon didn't even exist as a status until several years ago. Either it was active and on the market or it wasn't. There was no gray space that some pioneering brokerages created. And now we're trying to manage. You're always trying to find a loophole. I always think of W.C. Fields, who was an atheist on his deathbed reading the Bible, and someone said, Bill, why are you reading the Bible? He said, I'm looking for a loophole. So these brokerages or individual agents look for loopholes, push the line until somebody complains to the Realtor Association. Look, Realtor Associations don't do anything until they hear a host of complaints from agents that have some significance, and then they have to do something about it. Because for the most part, associations of realtors like to go by what goes on committee. They like to go out to lunch. They're consensus-driven organizations. Like the imperative is get along. (laughs) work it out. Something nasty always happens because it goes back to every man for himself. There's going to be someone that says, if I can break the rules and make a lot of money doing it, I'm going to do that until I get caught. And I just like to bring this up, Matt, that if you look and we took the multiple listing service away, amount of realtors, meaning real estate agents that are a member of National Association of Realtors, California Association of Realtors, San Francisco Association of Realtors, or whatever local realtor association would drop by 80%. Most agents are members of these realtor associations so they can get access to the MLS. So for the realtor associations, if there's any threat to the multiple listing service having dominance, they freak out. Let's just dive right into the heart of this one, which is, is the creation and control of multiple listing services, is that creation of an orderly marketplace that benefits consumers or is it a monopoly? Well, can I swear on the show or no? Totally. It's a shit show. (laughs) So that's what it is. Let's talk about realtor associations. Let's talk about MLSs. So In San Francisco, our Realtor Association owns our MLS. In Marin, it's a bunch of brokers of the MLS. In MLS listings, which is San Mateo and Santa Clara County, who knows what it is. But either way, these different MLSs, it's hard to get them to cooperate with each other. We just instituted the NorCal MLS Alliance, which took, what, 20 years to build, which at least... It fell apart 10 times before it ever came together, which is a bunch of realtor associations and MLSs agreeing to share their data together because God help it if I have to share my data. We talk about realtors not wanting to cooperate. You know what cracks me up about real estate data? A house is a house, a bedroom is a bedroom, 
a bathroom's a bathroom. And yet we have barely begun to standardize on data. Like a bathroom in Wisconsin is just like a bathroom in California, right? Like, why has this been so hard? We're just describing houses. Because like, what is a full bath? A full bath means it has a bathroom. There are four elements of a bathroom, if you would like to know. Right. Back in the day, if you had a shower, but you did not have a bathtub, you were a three-quarter bath. When was the last time you've ever seen anything listed as a three-quarter bath? I put that something had a water closet in the marketing remarks, and an agent said, well, you didn't talk about the toilet room. And I said, that's what a water closet is. Do we have basements in San Francisco? No, we do not. But every garage in the sunset is called a basement. So the language is different. Horse properties up in Yuba County, we have TICs in San Francisco. Every market has something a little bit different and trying to get them to cooperate is terrible. This is my theory or observation is that because multiple listing services started locally, which made complete sense when, you know, you didn't have the internet and it was a book, every locality or MLS defined like whatever their default was as like the default property and then defined everything else as how it was different from that. So if you lived in a land of single families and that was just what you had, like that was the base property and you described everything else as how it was different from that. But it varies what was kind of the base property in various markets. But it was always about like no one was thinking when they were coming up with MLSs 50 years ago of like, why would New York care what California's definitions are, right? Even if you look at any simple real estate market, it's set up for a horizontal home. I mean, everything is set up for a home in Idaho. And here we are in San Francisco on 25 by 100 foot lots where we've got some pretty vertical homes and we've got multi-unit buildings. And we are completely set up for selling ranch style homes in the flyover states. All right, but you still don't answer my question. Is the MLS an orderly marketplace or is it a monopoly? It's fairly orderly. There's been a lot of thought put into it. You've got good MLS committees. We do in San Francisco anyways. Is it a monopoly? There's, to sound like an attorney, and I'm not an attorney, but... You could play one on TV. I could. I will not say it's a monopoly. There is an argument that it is a monopoly. Why? Because if I'm not a member of a realtor association, I do not gain access to the multiple listing service. And I would say, but why don't you have to become a member? Because that is what says you have to play by the rules. Of course. But now is the realtor association itself a monopoly? Because we're going back to the only reason that there are this many members of realtor associations, whether it's statewide, local, or national, is because people want access to the MLS, not because they want to get along, not because they want to cooperate. It's simply because they want access. Are there people that always want to follow the ethical rules of real estate? Sure. That's why the realtor associations were started in the first place before there was even an MLS. Are there people that can take it or leave it? Yes. Are there people that don't want to cooperate but want access to the MLS? Absolutely. So if somebody that does not want to be a member of the Realtor Association has to join to get access to the multiple listing service, is that a monopoly? There's an argument that it is. Is it a monopoly or is it a reasonable gatekeeper providing access once you agree to play by the rules? When you go to a sporting event, you don't have competing sets of referees. You have one person, ultimately, or a group of 
bearing on the sport, making that decision. It wouldn't make sense to have competing teams of referees that would not make a sports game easier to understand or better. So why would that competing referees help real estate? Let's go back to the book Freakonomics. In drug dealing, the kingpins of a drug dealing organization do not want a war, but the foot soldiers on the street want the war to be able to move up. So if I'm a realtor association or MLS association, I want everyone to get along. But if I'm somebody that's saying, going, I want to try to gain the system, then, and I'm REX, isn't that the company that's suing NAR for uh, being a monopoly? One of them. (laughs) They don't want to follow the MLS rules. So to try to move up the ladder, they're willing to start a war with NAR. Does NAR want a war? Absolutely not. They'd love it if the Justice Department left them alone. They'd love it if everyone just said, hey, we'll agree to split everything. We're all cooperating. But that's not the case. The case is that the Justice Department wants us to have a very different amount of ways to sell real estate to benefit the consumer. And I guess the question is, if you have multiple ways to allow to sell real estate, are you still able to bring all of those into one place? Because otherwise you have segmented markets where what's the favor you're doing someone by not advertising a property as widely as you could? Well, I think one of the arguments for like a top agent network, let's say, that was a shell of its former self after a clear cooperation There was a point to a top agent network because once you show a property, I always look at a listing and people say, oh, do you do coming soon? No, I don't do coming soon. If it's on coming soon, it's to comply because I'm putting a postcard out or I'm getting a sign up early. It's not that I'm trying to sell it early because I don't want to show a property until it's in its best light. So if you've got something that's not looking that well because the older person that lives there doesn't want to get out, they haven't painted, everything's a little weird, but you know your person would sell it if they would get the certain price. That's what a top agent network was for. And so was there a place for that? Yes. Why don't you want to put it in the MLS? Because the seller just isn't doing what they're supposed to do. I've got a condo right now. I said, it looks terrible. It smells like smoke. It needs to be painted. My seller said, I don't care. Put it out there. How many phone calls did I get over the weekend? Zero. That's the idea of a top agent network or some other off-the-market network is to be able to list things so it doesn't start the day-on-market count and have that history that can be found anywhere that happens once you put it in the multiple listing service. And let's talk about high-end homes. Give us your experience with high-end homes and keeping things off the market, Matt. Do you remember the Saturday Night Live sketch where it's like everyone's opening their Zillow app for some house porn? Oh, yes. That was lovely. So here's the thing. Most people on the internet looking at real estate listings aren't going to buy it. So why does it matter? What is the benefit of 600,000 people dreaming of owning my house when they can't? It's not like Zillow actually expanded the marketplace of people who could buy a house. No, but at the same time, if you look at a porn star, they could be a very attractive lady or man. And if you look at your average person... Maybe they don't want a picture of themselves up on a porn site. Maybe they're not looking so good. But that doesn't mean somebody doesn't want them. So that's where something comes up, putting something in top agent network because it's not ready, it's not pretty. Is all of this just behavior that you can get away with because it's a hot real estate market and the solution was actually instituted by the Fed when they started hiking interest rates? 
And when the market changes, people's attitude about cooperating and working together often changes. I think this is a disaster all over the place because the realtor associations let people get away with so much. And I'm not talking about one association over the other, but top producing brokers get away with murder in this industry. And nobody wants to fight them or call them on their BS when they do something wrong, because lo and behold, you won't be able to get into contract with that person down the road. So you leave it alone. The other thing is I actually brought somebody up to the board years and years ago. And I should have won, I felt. And they just split the difference because they wanted everyone to get along. And I had one of the people that was moderating it come up and said, you know, that wasn't right. You should have gotten the entire thing. But, you know, we just want to make sure people get along. And that's the problem. Then people don't trust the, you know, what's right is right. You even look at a dispute now with uh, you have to go through mediation and arbitration. Somebody doesn't do the right thing in a listing contract. That doesn't mean the other side gets their deposit. That means we now we have a battle to go through. So it's not as easy a solution as people may think. So you think clear cooperation basically will continue to be a mess? I think clear cooperation makes it easier for large companies that begin with the C that begin with a C and a B or begin with an S or a host of other ones lets them have their own exclusive coming soon while all the independent brokers cannot do a goddamn thing. That's what I think. I think the NAR gave a huge advantage to the Wall Street brokers. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. And for our listeners, he might be wondering what clear cooperation is. It was a controversial policy that was adopted by the National Association of Realtors in 2019. Implementation came online, I want to say 2020. And it requires MLS members to put all of their listings in the primary MLS system within a business day or 24 hours, whatever they finally settled on, of publicly marketing a property, which is to anyone outside of your office. So that was a, a huge policy change. We had some history with that policy here in San Francisco that we can't talk about, but we took a slightly different approach. And when NAR passed this policy and essentially required all of the MLSs to adopt it, that's when the lawsuits showed up and PLS, Pocket Listings, is suing them, alleging it's monopoly. And then they're also getting sued by consumers I want to say like Missouri that just got certified as a class action saying that the fact that the MLS required them to split their commission and pay for the buy side representation was anti-competitive, antitrust, monopolistic as well. If you got one company that can thoroughly dominate a market because they have purchased all the large brokerages in town, if that one company and I'm not striking against a company. Like I said, every man for himself, you do what you can do for your own company. But if the MLS just gave you permission to say within your office, and if your office is 20, 30,000 people, that's 20, 30,000 agents that can have access to those coming soon listings. Isn't that an MLS by itself? One could make that argument. I mean, yes and no. Is the MLS just the place that has properties? Or is the MLS the place that has properties plus the business rules that create an orderly-ish marketplace? <laughs> well, if you've got one company, they could be setting those rules saying, hey, you know, you're allowed to sell these properties coming soon and you still have to cooperate with our company policy and do the right thing as per our company, not as per 
a realtor association. I guess I feel like, you know, maybe the way we're organized now with associations and MLSs acting as gatekeepers, monopolists, whatever you want to call it. But the point being to create an orderly marketplace. And to your point, like, isn't that just another MLS? Like, how does anyone benefit when suddenly Sotheby's has the MLS and Brokerage 2 has their MLS and so on and so forth? And then we have the public MLS and then we have our private agent networks and all of these other listing clubs. And so now to find a house for somebody or to find a house for yourself, instead of going to like one place, you're going to five, ten. I mean, would that really be better? I'm sure it's frustrating. And I know it was frustrating when I had to join. I've never liked Top Agent Network. I thought Top Agent Network was one of the most violating of fair housing things I've ever seen. Because if you sell more expensive homes in a Caucasian neighborhood, you're going to be able to be a member of Top Agent Network a lot faster than somebody that's selling homes in a Hispanic neighborhood, a black neighborhood, or an Asian neighborhood. But this is what I don't get. Right. Like that argument has been made for a while. I have made that argument. And these networks and clubs have been around long enough. How come nobody sued them for it yet? Because we didn't care. I brought this up when I was president and nobody seemed to say, ah, you know, well, the associations care about what the associations care about. Presidents of associations are there for one year. You get your special pin, you get your dinner, your luncheon, whatever. And then you're gone the next year. And really what controls any of these associations are the staff that runs them, which you need that longevity of somebody that knows how to run an organization. You look at um, Joel Singer that just left CAR after decades. He was incredible at his job. He had a lot more power than any president that's ever been the president of CAR, let's face it. 100%. And I recall being on nominating committee at CAR and having discussions like, does it even matter who we nominate? Because like, isn't it just going to be like Joel and the team doing it? (laughs) That's all it is. CAR is a little bit more like that than a local association. I think sometimes the local associations will truly get the board, get the president more involved. Some CEOs do a better job of that, too, as we call them association of executives. But my experience of associations is they're so inconsistent, right? You have like large, well-run associations, and then you have like the Bob's Your Uncle County Association of Seven. And it's just like, come on, it's so inconsistent. And that's real estate in general. There's too many associations. There's too many MLSs. There's too much of everything. And there's too many directors for the California Association of Realtors. There's too many directors for the National Association of Realtors. And when you've got 700 people in a room trying to make a decision, nothing really gets done except for what has been decided upon ahead of time. And it's not even that it's just 700 people taking a vote. It's 700 people trying to come to consensus while taking a vote. You're pretending that it's like this process over here where it's just going to be black, white, yes, no, we're going to do it or we're not. But it's never that, right? It's been this entire process of like changing it and making it along the way to make it palatable to people. You know, the funny thing is because you have committees, you have a certain chain of command that things need to go up, that when there is a problem, 
they move so slowly, it's like trying to turn the Titanic around an iceberg, that they can never get anything done in the time it needs to be done. And that's where something like clear cooperation comes in. They should have dealt with this years ago, but they had to go through committee work and everything else, you know, to do this. And then by the time it comes out, it's already taken care of. And I think that's where the larger companies got the sweetheart deal out of clear cooperation, which makes clear cooperation completely unfair to anybody that's not a member of a brokerage that has hundreds and hundreds of agents per locality. Boom. Mic drop right there. No need to tell us how you really feel, Kevin, because you just did. I know. I know. My wife doesn't like that sometimes. I am glad that your wife has recovered from COVID. She's all fine. I don't know how I didn't get it. COVID didn't want you. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a first. Matt, it's not a first. Is there anything on the table to make any adjustments to clear cooperation? What are the associations saying about how it's working? Have you heard any feedback on that? Well, because of the lawsuits, NAR has kind of circled the wagon and is in defense mode, right? Of course they are. Ask any association executive or anyone in our triple layer cake how things are, and clear cooperation is clearly fantastic, and it is working just like you wanted, and we didn't want to do this. You wanted this rule. Don't you remember? (laughs) Yeah, it all sounds vaguely familiar. It's like the twilight zone going off in my head every time. You know, it's funny to be in the position that Matt and I have been in because you know, you've been in a sausage factory. You've seen how this is created, how all the decisions are made. And you don't know whether they're good or bad until four or five years down the road. You'll see in two, three years what this is becoming. But this is my fear. My fear is that residential real estate starts behaving more like commercial real estate. And what I mean is there is no MLS. There are no realtor associations. And it's large brokerage versus large brokerage. If you want to see what listings Collier's have, there is no MLS. You contact Collier's. If you want to find out what Cushman Wakefield has, you go to Cushman Wakefield. So is that the market that we're going to move into where you need to go to four or five large companies to see what their individual inventory is? And what that means is the buyer agent job completely disappears. And, and then we're back to dual agency. You were back to being listing agent. You know, you have to remember, always remember that the term realtor was to differentiate ourselves from the curbstone real estate salespeople at that time, which were mostly men. And they used to say their office was in their hat and they would con little old ladies out of farms, things like that, you know, but that's what we came up with this whole organization for was to do things correctly. We created the MLS in order to cooperate with each other. And now we're looking at this whole organization and saying things have completely changed. What do we do now? And I don't think anyone has the right answer. It's like having a second amendment that was written in the 1700s trying to curb uh, gun shootings. You know, it's like we've got rules set up from a hundred and something years ago, set up for a high technology market. This is what I find interesting though. No one's stepping up to make a national MLS. Zillow doesn't want to be an MLS. None of these other companies, they just want the MLS data. But nobody else wants to step up and try and run a marketplace or enforce rules. If the MLS is like so valuable and important, like how come no company has stepped up to challenge NAR, as it were, or anyone else? 
how come nobody has stepped up to challenge Rapatoni? Rapatoni looks like a DMV website from 1992, and it's what we all use. Or we use Matrix or another company that's just as bad. Kevin, when you were president, didn't Rapatoni take you out for a very nice dinner? They did not. I never got invited to anything. Oh, I got a nice dinner. See, that's what happens. I was the president that gets skipped over the nice dinners. I was a Rapatoni believer. And yes, I agree with you. It hurts me now. I asked the AE of San Francisco, I said, why do we still have this Rapatoni? Because there's no money in a realtor association to create a new MLS. I didn't really understand the answer, but essentially what it is, is there's no money to disrupt. The disruptors come where the money is. And if there's no money in an MLS, then why bother reinventing it? You know, I would say there is money to be made in an MLS. I mean, look where Zillow makes their money. They're making it from agents who are buying advertising on their website. So why couldn't you cut out three layers of stuff and charge agents X amount, make your money? Here's the answer. Because we already are. And what do we spend the realtor dues that build the MLS? What do we spend it on? Politics. Oh, 100%. I don't know the financials of other MLS associations are, but I would say ours subsidizes our political operations. CAR spent $40 million to pass Proposition 19, which I don't think is a very good proposition, and many people would agree with me. You're going to love it when you turn 55. (laughs) hate it when I can't inherit my parents' Prop 13 property tax someday. But basically, you're looking at the associations are willing to spend an egregious amount of money in something like that. But to fix the MLS, forget it. But does anyone even know how to fix it? Are you just talking about making it look better? Or are we talking about like the fundamental issues of cooperation? I told my wife, I said, do you want access to my MLS? She said, no, I hate it. I'd rather go to Zillow. And there's the problem. You know what is awful? Sending out property reports from the MLS. It's like, hey, here's my 1982 PDF. With a little thumbnail. (laughs) If you don't know how to print properly, scale to page, these kind of things. But even the text is awful. Everything about Rapatoni is just, you know, I don't want to pick on Rapatoni, but I really do. Oh, yeah, you do. And it's just, it doesn't work well. And so that's what we're stuck with. Why are we stuck with this when I'm paying over $1,000 a year for dues? Right. And this is where things are fundamentally broke. We're spending, you and I and brokers and agents are spending all of this money for access to something that is essentially just a data container that dresses up the data so badly that we all then turn around and subscribe to another product from some third party to take the MLS data and make it look like it's not from 1980. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I don't think having more MLSs, to your point, making it like commercial solves the problem. Like, do you remember Enron? back in the day and energy markets and how like Enron was going to change the world and like make energy markets so much more efficient. And then you realize they could completely game the system because electricity is a different type of market and a different type of product than anything else. And so my concern is like, we're going to say, okay, like the way to go is multiple MLSs, like lots of them, all of the different networks and such. And then we're right back to the problem we had that we solved with a centralized MLS. (laughs) I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if it is fixable. I just know that clear cooperation, while it has good intent, 
has something really bad about it, which is giving an unfair advantage to the largest brokers. If you look at a progressive tax system versus a regressive tax system, this is a regressive policy to benefit the highest producing companies. It's Reaganomics at its best. I think that's one of the unintended consequences of it. I mean, I don't think that they went into clear cooperation with that intent, but I agree it's an outcome. Yeah. Some of the things are just silly, right? I shouldn't have to put something into the multiple listing service to be able to send out just a coming soon postcard or putting a sign up a week early. But yes, should I have to have a policy as far as putting it onto a website? Maybe that's what we should have done, has left it with websites and not your traditional forms of marketing, such as a neighbor letter. So if I send out a letter to neighbors around the property saying, hey, I've got a property coming up soon and I want you to preview it early, that's been a way to try to get new listings for generations. Now we can't do that without putting it in the coming soon. Why? Because we need to comply. We need a compliance policy. I actually think that would be a phenomenal tweak. There's the advertising that is inherently local and not at scale and not digital. And that's what you're talking about. And then there's the internet and digital advertising and at scale. And they're completely different. I'm not going on Instagram to sell my properties, but I've heard a lot of clear cooperation violations in the social media world because things, they disappear so quickly. Unless somebody's got a screenshot of it, how do you know if someone's used TikTok, Instagram, what have you, to promote a a listing. Yeah, social media. I mean, have you ever sold a house or got a listing off of social media? I get listings from social media all the time. And the reason is Facebook, because I'm old. And (laughs) Facebook, because I grew up in San Francisco, know so many people. All I really do is I post what I just sold. I post what I have coming soon or just listed. And people that I know that are already my sphere of influence, contact me. I'm not going to get anything from someone I don't know, but I will get something from someone that knows me that sees that I sell real estate consistently and will say, hey, use Kevin Birmingham. I see him selling all the time. Have you had anyone like try and claim your listings as their listings on Facebook or have you had problems with your listings in social media? Just Craigslist for the rental scams, but otherwise, no. Yeah, I would agree. Craigslist. Craigslist, it reminds me of Rapitoni as far as how it's laid out. But uh, that was a big thing for real estate back in the day was put your ad in the Chronicle or any local newspaper that your listing is and then make sure you had it in Craigslist until the rental scam came around. Yeah. Craigslist was for like a hot minute, a decent place to post real estate listings. And then it was just one scam after the next. And you know, your user interface is bad when it makes Rapatoni look good. That is true. But um, I think the thing is, you know, no matter what you try to do, the markets are going to do what the markets are going to do. I think there's going to be a lot of companies that try to challenge NAR. I don't think this is going away as much as they would like it to go away. I think this is going to be a continued challenge for them for years to come. And my personal philosophy on this, since you asked, is that the MLS should be an orderly marketplace and that there is value in one entity or agreed entity being that referee and creating that gatekeeper. I see there definitely being value to consumers in that so that 
you can theoretically find all the properties that are for sale without having to go through 26 somersaults. What my issue is with MLSs is when they go from trying to be an orderly marketplace to being a hall monitor with a realtor, a ruler that wants to slap everyone's knuckles every three seconds and wants to have a conversation about micromanaging what photos I can put in the MLS and how close they have to be to the property and what direction they can be in and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a marketplace. We're grownups. We're all here to do the best for our clients. So you need some guidelines, but stop with the nanny state. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree. But I do think the one benefit of clear cooperation has been the disappearance of your top agent network. Was it Alto? Was that the company that was out of Marin for a while? There was a few other ones. I think Alto's still around. Their members aren't even members of NAR, CIR, SFAR. They have real estate licenses, but yeah, they're just running their complete kind of own thing. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of different weird hybrids. And if somebody thinks they're going to sell more real estate doing a certain thing that's against clear cooperation or any rule, they're going to do it. There's going to be somebody hungry enough to go out there and challenge it until thing, they get the slap down from someone else. I mean, there was one company a few years back, you asked about listing someone else's property. They were listing every new development on their own blog site to advertise that until SFAR, the San Francisco Association of Realtors, made them stop. And without that, they would have continued to today. I know. <laughs> I hear you 100%. So basically, is the forecast for the future chaos? Nobody knows. Chaos, order, more chaos, more chaos. And yeah, I think it's going to be really strange what happened. I mean, nobody knows. Do you see the end of buyer agency? I could see the end of buyer agency as something independent, and I could see companies assigning buyer's agents to individual buyers that access a property and give that listing agent a split. Even in the market that we're in today, you see some listing agents that, oh, I don't double end, but they refer to one agent, all of their buyers, and they give that person a special, okay, you're going to get in. Isn't that double agency in a way? It's something. I'm not an attorney either, but it's definitely not a transparent marketplace, right? And that comes back to the whole thing, right? People will cooperate to the extent that it is in their best interest to cooperate and they will compete the rest of the way. And listing agents are different. Some listing agents want all the phone calls coming to them and some listing agents say, I don't want to hear from these buyers. They're nothing but a nuisance. Let the floor person, the new agent, answer the phone call. And if they want to represent them, then they can represent them and give me a kickback. Is that the world we're going to move to if the MLS dissolves? Because these large brokerages get to create their own internal MLSs. That is a possibility. Is it going to happen? Who knows? So basically, are things perfect now? No. Could they be a whole lot worse? Yes. Just wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> We've survived as the travel agency has gone away and insurance agents have been really affected by the internet. The realtor has actually been largely unaffected. The demise of the real estate broker has been predicted for early 90s at least, and it's not happened. The lion coming over the mountain has not eaten us yet, Matt. Yeah. 
But, you know, we're paranoid optimists, so we're certain it's on its way. Yeah. <laughs> Just over that hill still. The thing is, I think real estate, like I said, it's a challenging job. Clients are challenging. Properties are all different. And if somebody wasn't getting paid very well, they would not do this job because the phone never stops ringing. The work never stops. And there's a lot of demands, especially when properties are this expensive. Who would have ever thought that the average price of a home in the Bay Area would be well above a million dollars? Not I, Kevin, not I. (laughs) So there's a lot of money at stake and that's where we come in. We do want order. We don't need an MLS to tell us who the good people are to work with, who the bad people are to work with, because those of us that are doing the vast majority of the business know who the good players are and know who the bad players are. If you've got 4,500 agents in a municipality like ours, it's really 300-ish, 400-ish people that are doing most of the business. We know who each other are, and we know the dirty laundry. And you also know who double ends, who does this, who does that, who does the other. And you also, are you ever going to stop the texts that come in from agents that you're friends with saying, hey, do you got this? Is that a violation of clear cooperation? I'm sure it is. What is it? They're not in your office. You're not supposed to talk about that unless you put it in coming soon, right? True. So if an agent texts me and says, do you have anything in Parkside coming up? And I say, we're just working on something I'm bringing on in two to three weeks. But if you want to say it early, go ahead. If they went to the MLS and say, Kevin Birmingham did this, would I get a slap on the wrist? I bet I would. Yes. Yes, you would. And are they going to go to the MLS and report it? No, no, they aren't. Even if somebody had the perfect client for that house and they got burned because of what you did, they're not going to report you to the MLS because they're going to think to themselves, my relationship with Kevin Birmingham over the long term is more important because I can find some other property for these folks. So why burn that bridge? Right. So that's what we're dealing with. That's what the local associations are dealing with. And that's what NAR is dealing with. And By and large, you've got very intelligent people that run these associations, but for the most part, they're not actively selling real estate. There's a small percentage of them that actually sell real estate. Most of them are managers, attorneys, transaction coordinators that have a big status. You always have these people that are very good at the microphone or talking about what's important about real estate business. To quote one agent that is very successful in San Francisco, he said, Those people down at the real estate board, do they even sell real estate? That's the perception a lot of times because people that are actively selling real estate, do they have time to fly around the country and go to all these conferences all the time? Absolutely not. No, there is nothing. Being president or doing any of these things, I mean, it takes a lot of time away from your business and, you know, got to be careful there. Our own association was fighting against a bad proposition a few years back, and I was working on opposing it. And I spoke with a developer who said, you know, it's great that you're doing this, but while you're doing this, your competitor is out there selling real estate, right? Yeah, exactly. That goes true with spending a week being gone for CAR, NAR, Clarity Conference, whatever else you have. And if you want to go to all those conferences... Are you going to be available for your clients? Probably not. But if you're a manager, you can adjust that time frame. If you're a working realtor, there's no way. Your clients want you and they're wondering why their property is not selling now. 
not the week after you get back from CAR. Right. And they're interested in one thing and one thing only, like sell my house as fast as you can for the most amount of money possible. All of the high level academic discussions we're having, they don't care. They're like, you figure out your cooperation stuff, just sell my house. (laughs) They don't care that you're off at a conference trying to work out a, a better way or whatever it might be. Your job is to sell their house, not be at a conference. Exactly. So, well, hopefully uh, those that are in those rooms that you and I no longer are in can get this solved and you and I will uh, sell real estate and meet for these podcasts and have a little banter back and forth. And that's all we can do in the world. That's the good we bring, Matt. That and Bert and Ernie. That and Bert and Ernie. (laughs) Well, hopefully, I don't know if they'll ever let us have a video again. I think after doing that, no moss, no moss. Yeah, I haven't been asked back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is an episode uh, pulling the curtain behind uh, what cooperation looks like in real estate. So thank you, Kevin Birmingham, for joining me to co-host today. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. You are super insightful and super smart. And um, can't wait to do it again with you. There you go. We'll see if I get an invite back, everyone. Well, thank you very much, Matt. And uh, if I do get that invite, we'll always keep it honest. That's our job here. I'm not even going to leave our audience in suspense. How about you come back and uh, maybe Prop 19? I felt some feelings from you about Prop 19, and we really didn't do it justice there. So how about it? We Realtors always have an opinion, and you know, opinions are like, what? Yes, and realtors have big ones. And if you're going to be a big one, be right. That is what I have to say. Prop 19 is next. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. All right. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. See ya. You've been listening to Escrow Out Loud, the San Francisco real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate. Experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links available at jacksonfuller.com backslash podcast.